0: what a joy to worship with you this morning that was wonderful we are always blessed to be in the house of the lord together aren't we and it's always a privilege and a pleasure for me to open the word of god with you and share with you from god's word we're going to be continuing our series in the gospel of john today we're in john chapter 13 you might want to turn there we'll get there in a minute We're gonna be talking about humility today. Humility is one of those characteristics that we we highly value in others, don't we? I've never once had someone say to me, "Ah, that person's just too humble. Can you be too humble? I don't think so. I've never had someone's humility annoy me, if it was true humility. But humility doesn't come naturally, at least not to me. Maybe you guys are all different, but I, I struggle with humility. I, I think I've struggled with it ever since I was little. I remember in grade school, elementary school, I guess you call it here, you know, the teacher would say, okay, everyone line up at the door, and I'd be part of that rush to be first in line, right? We want to be first, we want to be, we want to be the leader, we want to be recognized. I, I did. You know, I wanted to be popular in school. Anyone here wanted to be popular? I wanted to be good at sports. I was never good at sports, but I wanted to be. You know, you try, you you wanted people to look at you and go, wow. You know, later on in my life, I got involved in music, and of course, that became a huge competition. Everyone's always judging you as to who's better than who, and I wanted people to recognize my talent and and praise me for it. I mean, I, I wasn't humble. I'd, I mean, I could go on and on. It would take longer than we have here today to share all of my shortcomings when it comes to humility. But the interesting thing is I was taught from a very young age that I was supposed to be humble. Right? My terence, parents taught me, well, don't, don't be prideful. Don't brag. Don't boast. That's not appropriate. So I, I knew I knew I I should be humble." Of course, that led to episodes of false humility. You know what false humility is, right? It's where you you downplay your accomplishments, your abilities, etc. You try to appear humble. Why? So that people will compliment you on your humility. (laughs) It's just a vicious circle of looking for people's praise. We value humility. We appreciate it in others, but it's hard. I don't think it's just me. I think we probably all struggle with humility at, on some level. Some people are probably born more humble than others, but I think we all struggle. Why is that? Why do we feel like if we don't look out for ourselves, if we don't promote ourselves, nobody else is going to do it? got to look out for number one, right? If you want to get ahead in the world, you got to do it for yourself. You got to promote yourself. We, we live in a world that expects that. It expects us to judge others, evaluate others and ourselves, right? See, where, where, where do we fit in the fabric of society? What's your place? Where do you stand? And if you don't like your place, well... Work harder, get another degree, do something to improve your status. Move up the ladder. It's the world we live in. Look at social media. We judge people on social media by how many likes they get. I mean, what is that? And yet we admire people that we have never met because they have a million followers. They must be something special, right? There's a million people following them. We're constantly pressured by society, by the world, to evaluate who we are and where we fit in the hierarchy of life. And then stay in our lane, know our place, or work to improve your standing. That's the world we live in. That's how the world thinks. That's what the world teaches us. But you won't be surprised, I'm sure, most of you here today, you won't be surprised to see that God expects something different from us. God wants us to have a different mindset, a different course of action, a different way that we behave from those that follow Jesus Christ. So let's look at today's text and see what God says about humility, especially as it relates to serving others. We're going to read the first 17 verses of John chapter 13. This is what the word of the Lord says. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. You will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for the way you teach us and instruct us. And Lord, I pray that as we dig into this passage today, Lord, that you would speak to us through your Holy Spirit. Lord, make this text come alive for us today. Lord, you know each of us intimately. You know exactly what we need today. So Lord, we submit ourselves to you, we open up our hearts to you, and ask that you'll have your way with us as we study this passage together. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So you've probably heard this passage many times before, right, this whole Jesus washing the disciples' feet thing is pretty famous, pretty common to talk about, but I think it's important for us not to just wash over it. We're gonna take some time and and dig into what's going on here. First of all, it's important that we understand that this passage, the beginning of chapter 13, is the beginning of Jesus's final instructions to his disciples. It's his farewell address, if you will. And it continues. Chapter 13, right through chapter 17, there's a lot of instruction. John probably shares. Uh, John shares the most information about what happened in that upper room. So Jesus is, has this chance to speak to his disciples for the last time. He's done debating with the Pharisees. He's not doing that anymore. He's finished talking to the crowds and to the masses. Now he's focusing in on his closest followers, the disciples, 12 disciples, before he goes to the cross, because he wants to prepare them for what is to come. It's also important we understand this is Thursday, okay? This is the day before Good Friday. You know, we just celebrated that a couple weekends ago, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, We all know what happened on Good Friday. This is the day before. Now, the disciples, they're clueless. They don't know what's coming. John, when he wrote this, is looking back, though. He knows what's going to happen. But most importantly, Jesus knew in the moment, at that meal, on that Thursday, Jesus knows what is about to happen. He knows what's coming. It says, he knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. In verse one, it's the first thing it said. So what does he do first? Knowing he's about to suffer terribly and die on the cross, knowing that his purpose for coming to earth, the whole reason Jesus was even there is about to come to this great sense of culmination. It's about to be accomplished. What does Jesus do? Now, I would have focused on myself. If that had been me, I would have been preparing got I'd maybe whew, get ready for what's about to happen. Maybe get a good night's sleep the night before. Maybe have some food because I'm probably not going to eat for a few hours, a lot of hours. Pray. Struggle with what was gonna happen, maybe feel a little sorry for myself, my mind would have been full of what was about to happen. It would have been all I could think about. You know what that's like, right? The day before a big event in your life, maybe you have a job interview tomorrow, maybe you have an exam the next day or a medical procedure that's gonna happen. Whatever it is, you know what that feeling is like the night before where that's all you can think about. It, it occupies your mind and you're thinking, okay, what, well, what can I do? Can I study a little bit before I go? What, what do I have to do to prepare for that test or, or that medical procedure? What do I, you know, get some rest? When big things are coming, that's all we can think about. But Jesus is focused not on himself here, You notice in the text, but he's focused on his disciples and preparing them for what is to come. In verse one, it tells us, Jesus expresses his love for his disciples. Knowing what's to come, he expresses his love for his disciples. It says, he showed them the full extent of his love, or some translations say, he loved them to the end." So what He's about to do, what we just read, was about His love for the disciples. But not just that, everything that's about to happen, the rest of the things that happened in the upper room, His suffering, His death, everything was an expression of the full extent of Christ's love. So Jesus begins his final instructions to his disciples, his loyal followers, by letting them know of his continuous, eternal, perfect, saving love for them. Picture it, right? The evening meal is being served. Judas has already been prompted by the devil, it says in verse 2, to betray Jesus. The plan has been set in motion. If you look back in Mark chapter 14, you'd find out that Judas had already met with the chief priest the day before and agreed to betray Jesus. And Jesus, knowing all this, but with full assurance of who He is and that His Father God is sovereign and in full control of the situation, He knows this is the perfect time out of His love for His disciples to teach them about humility. So he gets up and Jesus washes his disciples' feet in the middle of the meal. He puts aside all that he's entitled to as the Son of God. Remember, this is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He puts it all aside and he takes on the garb of the lowest servant. He goes to each of the 12 disciples. He washes and dries their dirty feet. Now much has been said in years gone by about how dirty the disciples' feet must have been. I mean, we, don't, we, we take better care of our feet now than they did back then, right? We wear socks and shoes and we, we cover them up so they don't quite get as dirty. But I'm sure you've all been in situations where your feet get dirty. Your feet always get dirty first, right? If you're wearing sandals especially, if you're walking around in the dirt like the disciples were, they didn't have paved roads or concrete sidewalks, they, everywhere they went was dust and dirt and mud if it rained, and you're wearing sandals, your feet get really dirty. I know for me, at least once a summer, probably multiple times in the summer, but at least once I'll come home from a camping trip or a an outing where I've been outside a lot in my sandals, and you know, you take your sandals off and you know, you you, you can see where the straps were. And I think to myself, hey, I got a bit of a suntan today. (laughs) And then I wash and I realize it was just dirt. (laughs) Our feet get dirty really easily. So you can imagine how dirty the disciples' feet must have been. And back then you have to understand that washing of the feet, this was, the most menial task in the household. It was such a menial task that it always fell to the lowest servant in the household. If if a house had multiple servants, the lowest one on the totem pole had to wash the feet. Everybody knew that. Now, if you didn't have servants, anyone volunteering to do that job would be putting themselves in that position. The position of the lowest servant at the bottom of the ladder. They'd be saying, I, I, I get it, I get it guys, I'm, I'm the lowest, I'll wash everybody's feet. It would be an admission. One, one commentator states that while any of the disciples probably would have willingly washed Jesus' feet if he had asked them to, because he was their teacher and Lord, they looked up to him, they would never have washed each other's feet for fear of appearing inferior. Right, you remember the disciples. How many times do we hear about them arguing about who's gonna be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven and, and who's, at, who's at the top and who's at the bottom and where, where did they all fit? Who was closest to Jesus? It was more than just the dirt. It was more than just the feeling inferior. I want you to understand and, and notice that Jesus even washed Judas' feet. Judas is still there. He hasn't left yet. We'll get to that, I think, next week, later on in this chapter. So knowing that Judas, in hours, literally hours from now, is about to betray him, Jesus washes Judas' feet. It's amazing. I mean, today, if you were to get up in the middle of a meal and and start going around washing everyone's feet, everyone would just think that was weird and unusual, right? Because we don't do that. It wasn't just weird and unusual for Jesus to wash his disciples' feet. It was humiliating. It was disgusting. It was demeaning. But he does it. He humbles himself and he washes their feet. And then we see in the middle of this foot washing episode this interaction between Jesus and Peter. Jesus is working his way around the room going from one disciple to the other and he gets to Peter and finally Peter says what probably everyone else in the room has been thinking. Lord, are you going to wash my feet? It wasn't really a question. It was more of a statement. It's like he's saying... Seriously, Lord, you're not really going to wash my feet, are you? And Jesus replies with, and I'm paraphrasing here, trust me, I know you don't get it right now, but you will. Now, you think by now, Peter and the rest of the disciples would have figured out when Jesus said something that they didn't understand, just go with it. He knows what he's talking about. But Peter doesn't trust Jesus in this situation, does he? He doubles down. He emphatically says, no, you shall never wash my feet. So Jesus says to him, and again, I'm paraphrasing, fine, have it your way, (laughs) but then you can't be a part of me. Well, that just about breaks Peter's heart. That's not what he wanted. His refusal to have his feet washed had nothing to do with wanting to be separated from Jesus. He was trying to honor Jesus and and keep Jesus at his place of honor, saying, you know, you're too good to wash my feet. So now knowing what he knows that not having his feet washed would mean a loss of communion or relationship with Jesus, Peter does an about face, right? And he says essentially, well, if if washing my feet is good and, and builds our relationship, then I want more of that. Wash all of me. Wash my head and my hands. Of course, Jesus answers with that phrase, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, speaking of Judas. So here in the middle of this episode of washing feet, Jesus teaches his disciples about justification and sanctification. He gives them a little mini lesson. It's like a little aside. Now justification and sanctification is modeled here because what Jesus is saying is washing your dirty feet is enough if the rest of your body is already clean right justification is is the act of god whereby he declares the believer to be righteous and acceptable before him because christ has born the sinner's sin on the cross right so one-time event god declares the believer justified it occurs only once so when the disciples believed in jesus when they were saved they were cleansed their whole body Their whole body was made clean. That's the image that Jesus is making here. But sanctification is different. Sanctification means to be made holy or to be set apart. Sanctification is the work of God and man together that makes the believer more and more free from sin and more like Christ. And sanctification is an ongoing process. Justification happens once, Sanctification continues for our entire lives. You see, the disciples were not perfect. As they walked those dirty roads, as they lived in the messiness of the world and life in general, their feet would get dirty. They would sin, is what Jesus was saying. And what Jesus is saying here is that they didn't have to get saved again when they sinned. They didn't have to get God to declare them righteous again or have their whole body cleansed. They just had to get their feet washed, confess their sin, restore their relationship with with God. That is why Jesus has to make this clarification here at the end of the passage where he says, but not all of you are clean, referring to Judas. Because when he says, All of you are clean. All of you have been declared righteous. He wanted to make sure they knew. They didn't know who it was yet, but there was one in the room who wasn't clean. Judas was not a believer. Judas hadn't been justified. He hadn't been cleansed. So Jesus washes their feet. He teaches them about justification and sanctification, and Then we get down to the reason. He explains very clearly why he did this. Verse 12, he finishes washing everyone's feet, even Judas's, remember that. And he asks them if they understand what he's done for them. Jesus models loving humility. That's what Jesus is doing here. He's modeling for the disciples loving humility. If Jesus, their teacher and Lord, loved them enough to take on the role of the lowest servant and wash their feet, they should do the same for each other. They were to follow Christ's example of loving humility and serve each other. Now, he's not speaking literally here about you need to wash each other's feet every time you get together. He's not instituting an ordinance or a a new thing that the church was supposed to do or the disciples were supposed to do but something much more meaningful and life-changing than another ceremony they were to have an attitude of servanthood towards each other in every area of their lives and then in case they didn't get it in verse 16 he essentially repeats himself No servant is greater than his master. No messenger greater than the sender. If Jesus, who was their master and their sender, right? It was Jesus who sent out the disciples. If Jesus would act as a humble, loving servant, then none of the disciples had any excuse to not do the same because none of them was greater than Jesus. No one was exempt from this instruction. And then finally in verse 17, Jesus ends this instruction with a final instruction and a promise. Now that you know, do it, put it into practice. And the promise is you will be blessed, you will be happy. That's what he tells his disciples. So what does all this have to do with you today? I mean, this happened with the disciples many, many years ago. What can we learn from this and put into practice into our daily lives? Well, first of all, trust God even when you don't understand what he's doing. Trust him even when you don't get it. Right? In verse 7, when Jesus said to Peter, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand, believe that, trust God. In Isaiah 55, nine, God says something very similar. He says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God operates on a whole nother level that we just don't get. And I don't know how many times I've heard over the course of my life, I don't, I don't understand what God's doing. Why is this happening to me? Why, why am I going through this? What's going on? It's hard, I'm not saying it's easy, but we need to trust God even when we don't understand what's going on. I mean, so often we don't, and Jesus says, trust me. Jesus trusted God the Father through all this. He knew God was sovereign we need to trust God's sovereignty as well. Can you imagine? Can you imagine what your life would look like, would be like if you lived like you really believed God was sovereign over every aspect of your life? Can you imagine what your life would be, really be like if you totally trusted God with every detail? I mean, instead we waste so much time and energy worrying about everything, trying to be in control of everything, tr- waiting in anxious anticipation of whatever's coming up next. <laughs> I had to deal with that this week, just preparing this message. You know, the doubts and the fears come about, you know, are you going to get it right? Are you, you going to say the right things? Or, you know, if people are people going to like this sermon? I, trust God. <laughs> and God had to remind me this week, Mark, it's not about you you don't have all the answers it's okay trust me trust God even when you don't understand and then rest in the promise that you have the Holy Spirit living in you to teach you and to reveal everything God wants you to know in his perfect timing right when you need to know it So that's the first thing trust God even when you don't know secondly Keep your feet clean. Or maybe let Jesus wash your feet. If you're a believer, if God has saved you, you are already justified in the eyes of God. Cleansed and purified. But you will sin. Sorry to break it to you. But you will sin. We all do. How do I know? 1 John 1.8. If we claim to be without sin... We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So when you sin, confess it quickly. Keep short accounts with God. Take your sin to Jesus. Repent and restore your relationship with Him. Let Him wash your feet. You see, unrepented sin in our lives breaks and undermines our walk with the Lord. It makes it harder for us to hear from him. Our, our communion and our walk with him is, is just, it's, it's broken. It's not working properly. So confess and let Jesus wash your feet. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. Do not resist his efforts to sanctify you, but submit to the ongoing cleansing that Jesus offers you. And maybe you're here today and you need more than your feet washed. Maybe you've never believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and been saved. You need to start there. You need to be justified before you can be sanctified. So I'd encourage you, I'd I'd beg with you. Respond to God today. Believe if he has given you the faith to believe. Believe and be saved. And then keep your feet clean. That ongoing cleansing, allowing Jesus to wash your feet. Third, and probably the main main point of this whole passage, serve one another in loving humility. Serve one another. Every believer is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Did you know that? If you're a believer today, you are a disciple. These instructions were given to the disciples. You're a disciple. So serve one another in loving humility. Jesus washed His disciples' feet as an example of how we should serve each other. That's why we build into our discipleship model an element of service, right? Here at Calvary Baptist Church, we have a model of 1-1-1, one, 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 right? Attend one worship service, belong to one DC group, one small group, and serve in at least one area of ministry, Serving is essential to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not optional. We have to serve each other. See, God knows, He knows us so well. He knows we have a propensity to judge each other and compare ourselves to each other and place different people in different boxes and on different levels and status. He knows we want others to think highly of us and. We seek the praise of man all the time. We want to be important. It's basic human nature. So he gives us this instruction to encourage us to fight against that human desire. And out of obedience to God, humble ourselves with each other. We need to stop comparing. Thinking like like the world thinks, that there's some sort of hierarchy in this world and we all need to know our place there is no hierarchy when it comes to humbly serving each other there isn't and now and i'm not talking about ability here i know god gives us different gifts and some people can do this really well and some people can do that really well we all have our ability so do that do what god has enabled you to do this is not. A, about ability, though, this teaching. This is about availability. Be available and allow God to work in your life. And it might mean doing something that you think is beneath you because we tend to think that, right? Well, because of my status and my training and my, all that I've done, I, I, that's a job for someone else to do. No, that's not the way we are to think. And remember, Jesus washed Judas' feet. Anyone here have someone in their life worse than Judas? I don't see any hands. If Jesus could wash Judas' feet, there is no one on this planet you can't serve. Certainly we can humble ourselves and serve those maybe we don't get along with quite right or that person we don't see eye to eye with or or that person we have an issue with or we've got a past, you know, and well, you do your thing, I'll do... No, no. Serve one another with loving humility. But humility is not just about serving others. There's one other point here. It's also about allowing others to serve you. Warren Wiersbe says this, it takes humility and grace to serve others, but it also takes humility and grace to allow others to serve us. See, if we're gonna serve each other like Jesus intended and instructed, we not only have to be humble enough to serve others, we have to be humble enough to allow others to serve us. Because pride gets in the way of both those things, right? Sometimes we think, We're too good to do that job and sometimes we don't want to appear like maybe we don't have it all together or that we have needs or that we are maybe weaker than we appear. So people offer to serve us and we're like, no, 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 I'm fine, I'm good. I got it, I got this, I'll be all right. That's just pride. We have to serve each other and we have to allow others to serve us. Don't rob people the joy of serving you. Don't take that away from them. And when you're thinking about serving, I mean, Jesus uses this example of washing people's feet because it was probably one of the most menial tasks he could think of in that day. It's not really a menial task for us today because we don't do that. So what is for you? Think about the worst job that you can think of, the worst thing that you could do for someone else, the hardest thing, the most difficult thing, maybe the most disgusting thing. That's what God expects of us. That's why he uses this example. Be ready and willing and able to humble yourself. It's challenging. Doesn't come naturally. We have to work at it. We have to pray about it. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to change our hearts. But we all need to humbly serve each other and allow others to serve us. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you again for your word and for what you teach us. And Lord, as we prepare to leave this place, Lord, please help us not to forget what we've heard today. Lord, change our hearts, change our minds, change who we are by the work of your Holy Spirit in us, Lord. Help us to trust you more, even when we don't get it. Help us, Lord, to keep our feet clean, to keep short accounts with you, Lord God, and confess our sin regularly so we can maintain our relationship with you. And the Lord, teach us how to serve, how to serve one another and be willing to do that even when it's hard. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If all we have is Christ, if Christ truly is your life, then we wanna listen. We want to learn from him and it's not enough to know we need to do. So trust God, keep your feet clean, confess your sins, serve each other with loving humility. Verse 17 says, now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. That's what Jesus said. He promised. Serving it brings blessing it brings joy it brings happiness joy is always tied to obedience and happiness is always a byproduct of a life lived in the will of God so let me encourage you today in the days to come move beyond just that head knowledge of knowing about God and knowing what we should do put this into practice starting today if you have questions if you want to talk to one of our pastors we'll be at the front after the service and also in the connections room to your right as you go out to the foyer we'd love to chat with you to pray with you and thank you for being here today for choosing to be in the house of the lord now go forth and serve with loving humility today have a wonderful day